take your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And we're going to begin there in verse number 21. Matthew chapter 5. And we'll begin in verse number 21. The Bible says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, the time that we have together this morning to gather around your word. Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to be focused on it. Lord, may we uh, have the ability to kind of cast aside the, uh, the busyness of the week and the day. And Lord, to take this, the clutter of life that clouds our thoughts and to be able to set them aside. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the thought, refocusing our faith. Uh, when we look at this and we look in the context, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. And he is just kind of starting to get past the Beatitudes and get started with, and he's given us the uh, let your light shine on the hill. And let your light shine where you go. Put all these things out there. Uh, and so he then shifts gears and he says in verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law. And so what he's doing here in this sermon, which spans chapters 5, 6 and into 7, uh, is laying the foundation for his entire earthly ministry. Uh, and so he's seen the multitudes, he's had compassion, he pulls his disciples, he begins to preach to this crowd. Uh, and he's laying out this, this is what's coming. This is a radical departure from what we've known. This is not religion as you know it. This is not business as usual uh, in uh, the synagogue. This is something that though it is really not that different if they had not missed the point of the law in the first place, but because they had missed the point, uh, at least at this stage of where they were, uh, it was going to come off as radically different than what what they knew. So he says to them, after he gives them the Beatitudes and after he gives them the, you're the light of the world, he says, don't think that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Uh, and so what we experience in the Christian life is the fulfillment of the law. It's not, uh, it is not the doing away of the law. Sometimes we think in terms of uh, of New Testament Christian liberty in, in the terms of, well, the law is done away with. No, the law is not done away with, the law is fulfilled. So the ceremonial law has been complete and there's no longer a need for it. 
but the uh, moral law is still very much in effect and we are still very much bound by it and God uh, and Jesus has reiterated that throughout the New Testament and so uh, when we look here at his introduction and what he's really getting across is he's saying this that the intent and his intent in this in this passage is this to refocus our attention to the intention of the law to refocus our attention to the intention of the law and so it's not a matter of, he's, he's not saying to them, all of these things that you do are bad. He's saying to them, the reason why you do all of these things is more important than what you do. Uh, and what, how we do and why we do uh, is of utmost importance. He says here, uh, that, or he, he's laying out the, the, the case to them, that Moses and the prophets have rule. But in their culture and society, the scribes and the Pharisees have taken control. And so they are bound and they are following and they are under the thumb of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's not what God set in place. What God set in place was the law and the prophets. It was the word of God uh, and the preaching of God's word that was used uh, to speak to hearts. And by the way, that hasn't changed in the New Testament age. God has given us the church. God has given us pastors and prophets and teachers so that we can uh, come together so that we can, we can. And the way it was described in the Old Testament is this. Uh, come together that we might read the word and then give the meaning of it. And that essentially is the definition of preaching. Uh, sometimes we get into kind of the mindset where, well, I don't need preaching because I can just read it and discern it for myself. And we can read it and discern it for ourselves, especially if we're willing to pay the price to dig deep into what the word of God says and to open our heart. But preaching of the word of God is still paramount. It's still primal. It's still the important factor uh, and something that God uses tremendously uh, in our lives. And so when he lays this out here he's saying listen Moses and the prophets have law they're the ones that have the rule they're the ones that it's the word of God that is the authority now and he's, and he's stating to them that the law has been misapplied uh, and uh, emphasis uh, an added emphasis was upon deeds more than intent and so when Jesus comes here uh, and he says I am not come to destroy I am come to fulfill uh, then he's laying out to them, uh, listen, the, the, what's important here is intent. And that's when he talks about refocusing our faith. I'm not talking this morning about changing our faith. I'm talking about focusing our faith on that which is important, on that which Jesus said was important, rather than upon uh, what we just kind of typically fall into. And it really is the difference between religion and relationship. Uh, and so when we see that and when we go through it, Matthew Henry said, stated it this way. I'm going to give you two statements that he gave in regards to this passage. Their practice, first of all, he says, was that the law forbade only the sinful act, but not the sinful thought. Now, Jesus clearly contradicts that on many cases in the, in the New Testament and in the Gospels in particular, uh, when he talks about uh, many things. If you have hatred in your heart towards a brother, then you have committed murder. If you uh, look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Clearly to Jesus, the emphasis and the intent was on uh, on the motive. It was on the why, not just the doing of a deed. And so he's making that point here. Then he continues, Matthew Henry continues by saying, they rested on the letter of the law, but never inquired into the spiritual meaning of it. And so what I have to understand here is that 
Uh, Listen, there are a lot of things in the Christian life that we do or that we don't do that are good to do or good not to do. But what's really important is have we looked to understand why? Uh, Are we just following tradition? Are we just following uh, religious tenets? Are we just following uh, guidelines that have been preached to us for a lifetime? Or... Have we looked deep into the Word of God and said, this is why we do this. This is why we uh, behave and think and act and and, uh, conduct ourselves in the way uh, that we do. Because anybody can put on a facade outwardly, but outwardly doesn't signify change. You cannot change on the inside and it not reflect change outwardly, but you can change everything outwardly and not change it all inwardly. And Jesus here is addressing the problem and he's telling them basically and he tells them he addresses the scribes and the Pharisees on other occasions when he tells them that they're just like whitewashed tombs. You're just an old tomb full of corruption that has been whitewashed over. Nothing's really been cleansed. It's just been covered up and hidden. Uh, And so uh, but because nothing internally has changed. The corruption's not been removed. It's not been uh, taken care of and Jesus is coming to take care of the problem. So when we consider here uh, what his heart is and what the message is, is he's trying to get them to refocus their attention. He's saying, you're focused on all of these deeds and all of these attitudes, uh, and what we need to be focused on is our relationships. Now he goes into that whenever he starts getting into uh, laying out uh, the, the things of judgment. In verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now the judgment here in this scenario is not referring as much to the judgment of a judicial system as it is the judgment of God. In other words, if these are, uh, this is an act that if I commit, then I face God's wrath and anger upon my life. It's not that the, the, the civil authorities don't have a biblical responsibility to adjudicate those things. They do, and biblically so. Uh, but the, the message here is that this is something that is a really big thing that God's anger will be spurred upon uh, and judgment will fall upon you uh, if you do that. Then he says, but I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So now we're going from murder to anger. Now we also know that in other times that they're compared to the same. If you have this in your heart, this anger, this hatred, then it's the same as, uh, at least uh, internally. And so when we define the terms though, and we look here in the context of it, what is he talking about here? Uh, judgment is talking about uh, the anger of God. And then he says, you're in danger of, uh, of that. And then whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. So the word Raka uh, is not something that we would ever use, but it is a word that means thou empty fellow. By its own definition, the technical definition is thou empty fellow. In other words, someone that's shallow, someone that's immature, someone that, uh, that fails to, to grow, someone that's not a deep, uh, that, that's, that really never thinks deeply. They're just very uh, kind of flippant with life and, uh, and the, the way that they judge, the way that they react, they're, they're just they're real unstable. Uh, and so you're in danger if you say to someone, Raka, if you're going around with an attitude of, well, you're just, you're just Raka, you're just an empty head. You're, you're just a, a person of no substance. You're just a person of no depth. If that's my attitude uh, toward folks, uh, then, uh, then I'm in danger of the council. 
Now the council refers to the Sanhedrin uh, in particular in a greater context and uh, it was the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees in the time of Jesus it was the Sadducees that had the greater control uh, that uh, that uh, would pass judgment and sentence upon. So you were in danger of that. Then he says, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now he's not talking about in this context eternal, uh, e eternal damnation. He's talking about uh, a death penalty. Uh, it is, it is, I mean, ultimately, if we die without Christ, we're all headed to an eternal death sentence. But he's talking about a death sentence. But it's interesting to note that he's like, okay, God's going to bring judgment upon you if you do this. If you say, Raka, if you have that attitude towards your fellow man, uh, then God is going to look at you and you're going to be in danger of the council. Man's going to judge you. Uh, but if you say thou fool, then you're worthy of a death penalty. So it's it really what he's dealing with here is our attitude toward God, our attitude toward our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and our attitude to the world at large. And he's changing and wanting to refocus their way of processing information, their way of thinking, their way of treating one another, uh, so that they come to this understanding. Now, when he lays all that out, uh, in the same context here, he says, uh, that therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... So uh, if you have a problem uh, with hating your brother or have an attitude of uh, you're just an empty shallow person, you're just an empty suit, uh, if you are a shirt you, uh, or you are a fool, if that's my attitude, if you've got that attitude and that animosity toward a brother or sister in Christ and then you want to bring an offering, you can't. Now, I'm not saying that we can't plop money in an offering plate, but that's really not what he's talking about here. That's the analogy that he gives here. But the bigger picture is, what is it really that I'm supposed to offer? I'm supposed to offer my life a living sacrifice. What Jesus really wants is not my dollars in an offering plate, but my entire life in sacrifice. If my life is in sacrifice to Christ, then the offering part of my Christianity will be taken care of. I don't really have to put a lot of emphasis there, because the heart is where God wants it. And that's the message that Jesus is trying to get across here. It's that, hey, listen, uh, th let's get the big picture right. Let let's get the this right, and all these details are going to kind of fill in and take care of, uh, of themselves. And so uh, he lays it out here. Listen, he's saying, you go around with the attitude of a hey, raka or thou fool. Those are scornful words that stem from pride, and they stem from anger, and they indicate an act of malice toward a brother or sister in Christ. Someone that uh, doesn't want to talk to someone else or won't cross an aisle to talk to someone else or won't, uh, is unconcerned with another person's needs or uh, doesn't break with their heart. We treat the lost people in our lives sometimes better than we treat those that we would worship together with. And so when we come here and we look at what he's saying here, now he's emphasizing, therefore, if thy bring thy gift to the altar and there, remember, and there rememberest thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way and first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. In other words, get the relationship right first and then serve. Relationship over religion. Uh, and so we're reconciling with a brother. Now, two thoughts about reconciling with a brother here uh, that I would say this. That number one, until we have, we are utterly unfit for communion with God. If I have a, a wedge between me and a brother or sister in Christ, then I am unfit in my relationship with God. Because Jesus was all about reconciliation. 
And when we look at it and we consider the fact that, you know, a lot of times we, and I, I, our church is filled with a lot of people that have been wounded in church. It's just the way that God's brought us together. Uh, sometimes it was here, sometimes it was somewhere else. And by the way, that doesn't mean that everything that was going on here, everything that was going on in other places where things happened was bad. It just means that in our nature, we tend to uh, get to a point where all we see or want to remember is what was uh, not the best. Uh, but the reality is, is that that's what God has assembled here in our church is a lot of people that have been uh, in bad church situations and in different places at times. Uh, and when we come together and we look at that, listen, we can sit back and we can say, well, pastor, if, if, if you'd been treated that way or if you'd been uh, done this way or if you'd been, uh, you know, uh, had this happen to you, then you'd feel the same way. Well, maybe I would, but that's really not relevant to the message that Jesus is preaching here. What's relevant is, is that Jesus was on a, a mission of reconciliation. And no matter where he went and no matter what he did, even his harsh words to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is really the only people that you could ever find him talking harshly to, uh, is uh, even his harsh talk to them was to bring them to a point of reconciliation. It's like that's the only thing they're going to get. That's all they're going to understand. And even when they came, look at Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. When they came, they found reconciliation. When they came seeking truth, when they came seeking Christ, they found forgiveness and a point of being reconciled to God. Uh, and so that's what Christian life is about. It's all about reconciling one another to Christ. Uh, and whether it's, uh, you know, I offended you or you offended me or, uh, so, you know, uh, someone at uh, some other ministry somewhere or a pastor at another ministry or uh, the pastor that's currently here now or a pastor that's been here in the past uh, has been a source of, uh, of harm or uh, has, has hurt you spiritually. Listen, everybody is just people and we're going to make mistakes and things like that are going to be done. And sometimes uh, natures are different and things are going to collide in those matters. But the reality is, is that... None of us have the right to stand up and say, I'm going to harbor prolonged anger, bitterness, rejection, or have that control my life and be justified before God because Jesus even said to Judas, thou friend. Amen. It's a responsibility that we have as believers in Christ to reconcile differences. And he makes a strong case here that, hey, listen, until I've reconciled with my brother, I cannot give anything of value to God. So I'm just telling you this morning, if you've got ought and animosity in your heart uh, towards someone that's here or someone that's somewhere else, that that has to be reconciled, whether they even are aware, whether they're willing to, uh, to accept it, whether they're willing to say, uh, forgive me or I forgive you, whatever the case may be, is irrelevant to the fact that I have a responsibility to get my life in order with God and to follow the plan that Jesus has given. And the plan that Jesus has given is, is reconcile. Refocus your faith. What's important? Why do we do what we do? How do we go about uh, doing it? And so until we have, we're unfit for communion with God. And until we have, we lie exposed to much danger. When he gives and he continues this thought, he says, leave your gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Notice verse 25. Agree with thine adversary quickly. 
whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Now, he's taking this a different route. He started with, with murder, and then he went to derogatory terms toward one another and attitudes. And now he's saying, if you've got animosity in your heart, get it reconciled. And now he's making a connection that when we don't do that, it's the same, as, uh, it's the same effect as the debtor's prison. Now, we don't understand that very well in our culture today, in our society today, and our, our, our young people here certainly don't understand this concept today uh, because the only place that they would have ever seen or heard about it is uh, in a history book. And so, but the, the reality is, is that in their time, that if I borrowed money from somebody and then I failed to pay that money back, that ultimately I'm going to be delivered to the judge. And when I can't make payment, then the judge is going to deliver me uh, to the officer and the officer is going to put me in the debtor's prison. And until I pay the debt, I can't get out. And our way of thinking, we would just say, well, if I'm in prison, I can't work. I can't pay the debt. So no one wins. But it doesn't matter because that, that's the way it worked then. And really, it's not that foreign of a concept in some countries in the world. If you were to go just to Mexico, which is not exactly a third world country. I mean, it's more of a modern, modernized country, especially for a Latin American world. Uh, but uh, you're in, in Mexico today, if I'm a Mexican citizen and I have to have surgery, I have to pay for so much of my uh, thing before I go in and I have to pay the bill off in full before they let me out of the hospital. If you go to Mexico and you have surgery, uh, they will not release you from the hospital even after you're healed until your bill has been paid. It's kind of the same concept. If you didn't honor your obligation in the debtor prison, in the Bible times, then it fell upon your family to come to your assistance and pay your debt. But until the debt was paid, you're not released. Now get the picture here. If I've got all of this angst in my heart toward a brother or sister in Christ, if I have... Uh, if I have, uh, but, you know, other sins in my life, if I uh, am saddled down with a spirit and a tongue that's gossiping or that's, uh, that's a heart that's angry or uh, it applies to the, all of these types of sins in our life, then ultimately, uh, yes, I'm going to experience some of God's wrath and yes, it's going to tr kind of trickle down and at some point it's going to affect my relationships with others and how I'm perceived and judged by them. And then uh, ultimately it's going to come to the point where it brings me to a death sentence, maybe not uh, that I'm necessarily going to be physically killed, but all my relationships are killed, all of my valuable connections are killed, all of my ability to uh, reach into other lives and to help them and to aid them and to touch them. I have destroyed them. As a husband, I've destroyed my ability to lead my wife and my, as a father to lead my children and uh, as a pastor to lead my church. And uh, if you're a Sunday school teacher in order to lead your class, uh, uh, if whatever the roles are within your life, and I'm just giving you kind of the way it would work in mine, but it transcends to all of us, uh, that if I am on this disengaged from God course of life and attitude toward my brothers, sisters in Christ, and toward the world at large, then ultimately I'm setting a chain reaction here that's going to end me up in a prison. And in that prison, I'm going to be there until I'm reconciled to God. And so uh, I need to understand if I have an issue with someone, I need to get it right. If I have a problem with someone, I need to fix it. I need to do what I can. But ultimately, I have to fix my relationship with God. But I can't fix my relationship with God and not fix my relationship with man. It's not possible. 
three thoughts about this this morning. When we talk about refocusing our faith and, and focusing our attention on what God has for us in the message that Jesus is giving here. First, I would say this morning this, that we need to focus on the spirit of the law. Religion focuses on the letter of the law. Typically, fundamental Baptist churches have spent a lot more time emphasizing the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. I, we're, I don't want to be the kind of pastor, even though we are a fundamental Baptist church, that makes that a tenet of our ministry. We, uh, listen, uh, the, the, the things that God sets forth in his word are of utmost importance, but what's more important is the spirit of the law. The why, the how. And listen, you can, we can conform to a lot of things, but nothing's changed with conformity. Two thoughts about focusing on the spirit of the law. Number one, understand the why, not just the how. This is what we're great at. We're great at, uh, here comes somebody and they're in and they, uh, they want to help, they want to serve. And, uh, and we, you know, we come in and we uh, preach that you need to work, you need to serve. And then, uh, and then they jump in and they were like, this is how you do it. Okay, you got some, you've got some ability, you want to do something, this is how to do it, and then we turn them loose doing it, but we never stop and we take the time to say, this is why we do it. We do that with our children. This is how we do, this is what we live, this is what we are, this is what our values are, but we never teach them why. Or we fail to teach them how. And so when we come to understand that we have to understand that Jesus here is saying, listen, this is a whole new world. This is about the kingdom of God. This is going from uh, strict Judaism to the New Testament church. This is uh, how I'm laying the groundwork for all of this. And the first thing that I want to get your attention with, he says here, is that I am come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. But the fulfillment of the law means that I need to begin to understand why it's there in the first place. And I need to focus on the spirit of the law. Understand why God wants me to do what he wants me to do. And, and we're more than just how. Understand the why, not just the how. Secondly, develop the inner man and the outer man will be cared for. We spend a lot of time and energy developing the outer man. We spend a lot of time with our young people developing the outer man. We spend a lot of time uh, in camps and different things like that developing the outer man. Uh, and the outer man is, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I am saying that if all of our emphasis is on the outer man and we never take care of the inner man, then we're never going to really accomplish anything. Our primary focus should always be the inner man. My primary focus in my own spiritual walk with God is inner man. Well, Pastor, what about the things on the outside of your life that need to change or need to be fixed? I firmly believe this with all my heart, that if I am walking with the Lord in the inner man, that it will reflect outwardly. I can conjure a lot of stuff up outwardly. You know, sometimes I have to go places and I know that I'm going to be in, in a uh, around maybe a crowd that I really don't want to be around uh, and I, I have to fight a battle to be kind or to guard my words or to uh, to respond in a way that's not dishonoring and displeasing to the Lord uh, and so when I get in those kind of circles I really have to force myself outwardly sometimes to say and do the right thing but it's so much it's so much easier when the inner man is right it's not so much, it's not such effort. Listen, the, the living an outward facade of life is exhausting. It's mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting. That's not the life that Jesus wants you to live, and that's not the life that he wants me to live. 
He wants authenticity. He wants us to be real. And the only way to be real is for God to change the heart. But when God changes the heart, because here's the other side of that coin, and I understand why some, uh, you know, take such still a hard, strong stand on the outer appearance of things. It's because uh, some have taken such, uh, have abused liberty to the point where, uh, well, this is the age of grace, this is the church age, then so uh, therefore uh, none of what I do outwardly matters. That's not true either. And Jesus still said, God still said, be ye holy for I am holy. All of those things matter. What matters most is why. When my heart is in tune with Him, when my heart is right with Him, when I'm functioning spiritually with the Lord the way uh, that He wants me to, it's all about that relationship, the developing of that inner man, the developing of my relationship with the Word of God, developing my relationship with the Holy Spirit, developing my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the focus. It, it has to be paramount in my life. And by the way, I cannot be in fellowship with God and not be in fellowship and harmony with my family and be in fellowship and harmony uh, with my, uh, with my bro brothers and sisters in Christ. If there is sin that's causing dissension, whether it's my pride, my arrogance, my foolishness, my whatever, uh, then that has to be reconciled or I'll never experience with God what God has for me. So when we look and we consider what he's got here, focus on the spirit of the law. Understand the why. Dig deeper into his word. Develop the inner man. Secondly, this morning I would say this. We must focus on the spirit of reconciliation. And we see this just as he lays this out here in, in the text where he, he talks about going from one stage of this to the next in his analogy. First it's about get the spirit right. Then it's now get reconciled. Once my spirit is in sync with the Lord, then the obvious and the next natural pro part of that step and process is to reconcile. To reconcile. I have a duty to set things in order. So when we talk about a spirit of reconciliation, the first thing that I would say, two statements here, the first is, is that I have a duty, you have a duty in our own lives to set things in order. When things are out of order, then it's our responsibility to fix that. The Bible says, let all things be done decently in order in Corinthians. And the church of Corinth was a corrupt church. We know that. We understand that. Uh, we know that they had problems. We know that they were so severe that Paul wrote two letters of rebuke and then said, fix it. Because if you don't and I come, then I'm going to have to bring the rock. And he said, I don't want to come and have to deal with this. I want you to fix it and set it in order so that when I get there, I don't have to. I want to come in fellowship. I want to come in worship. I want to come and rejoice in what God's doing. I want to come uh, and, uh, and uh, just uh, let's just love the Lord together. But these things must be set in order. And if they're not, then I'm going to have to set them in order when I get there before we can fellowship. Before we can worship. Before we can get these other things uh, together in our life. And so we have a duty to set things in order. If you have an area in your life that you know isn't right. If you have a relationship in your life that you know is broken. If you have a relationship that is strained. If you have a relationship that is struggling. Whether it's in your home or whether it's within the church. Or whether it's with someone that you used to go to church with. Or someone that you labor with. Then it is incumbent upon you. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility to set those things in order. Order, to correct them, to fix them, to reconcile my heart with God so I can reconcile my heart with man so that I can enjoy God's power and blessing in my life. 
Focus on the spirit of reconciliation. It's our duty. Secondly, I would say this about that, that we must be right with our brethren if we are going to be right with God. Listen, wife, you can't be right with God and wrong with your husband. Husband, you can't be right with the Lord and at odds with your spouse. There's got to be that reconciliation. Now, if you're someone that's married to someone that's lost, then maybe that, there's a little bit more that plays into that. I understand that makes things a little bit more complicated. But from, from who I'm looking at this morning, uh, we all should be on the same page within our homes. Husbands and wives should be able to come together. Everyone that's here this morning that I can see uh, is, uh, I know your, your family's well enough to know uh, that there shouldn't be a lot of odds there. We ultimately, we all want the same thing. We're very close to it. There's plenty of room to agree and to be in reconciliation with. You know what prevents it? Pride, arrogance, selfishness, childishness. We need to put all that aside and we need to reconcile the relationship because we cannot be wrong with one another and, not, and, and then in turn be right with the Lord. Well, pastor, I've got all these issues at home with my child or with my spouse and God still seems to be blessing me. Well, if God's still blessing you in spite of your sin, that's a lot of grace and mercy on his part. But don't take for granted that he's going to keep doing it. Fix it. And we've seen God extend that in messages here recently where God's extended that grace and that mercy. But we're talking about focusing on a spirit of reconciliation. Listen, every Christian's heart should be Reconcile. I mean, that should be the heartbeat of our life. It should be, hey, uh, I've, I, I said something that offended you. I want to fix that. I said something or I did something that hurt you. I want to fix that. I, uh, I see that you've got this strain in your life. I want to help you fix that. And that, that should be the driving force of our life. That's what drove Jesus. That's what his life, his ministry was all about. He saw people that were physically in pain and, and ailing. He wanted to fix that. He saw people that were spiritually inept. He wanted to fix that. He saw uh, things that needed to be put back together. He wanted to put it back together. And even uh, when he had to take harsher or methods in his words to the scribes and the Pharisees, if it, they came to him uh, in repentance and uh, seeking forgiveness and truth, he reconciled them. A spirit of reconciliation. If I would refocus my faith this morning, my faith uh, is, it's not that my faith uh, has to change dramatically. It's how is my faith focused? How is my Christian life focused? What is it that I value? What do I put uh, value on? Do I put it on the outward markings of Christianity or do I really want the relationship that Christ wants to have with me? Thirdly, I would say this morning that not only do we need to focus on the spirit of the law, not only do we need to focus on the spirit of reconciliation, but we need to focus on the spirit of communion. See, ultimately, this is what the Christian life brings to. Spirit of the law, spirit right with man, so that I can have communion, close fellowship with God. I'm not talking about uh, communion in the sense of partaking the ordinance of the church. I'm talking about communion in the sense of just a close, sweet, fellowship with my Savior. And if I would have that, then I have to have these other things in order. And that's really the three thoughts here, uh, along with focusing on the spirit of communion, reiterate the same principles that he's taught through this whole passage of scripture that we've been looking at. Number one, uh, I want to focus on the spirit of communion in my fellowship with God. 
God, I need to be in fellowship with you. And the reality is, uh, is that I can't fellowship with God if I'm wrong with man. But if I'm not fellowshipping with God, then I'm not going to really have the ability to get past some hurts in my life that are deep. So the one is dependent upon the other. It's like when Peter comes and says, Lord, how many times do we have to forgive? Till 70 times 7. As many times as it takes, Peter. Lord, I want that, but, but you're going to have to help me. Lord, help my unbelief. It was a faith issue. And so when we come and we understand, listen, if I would be in communion and close fellowship with my Savior, then I have to work on that fellowship with God. And working on fellowship with God is not working on uh, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's of the Christian checklist. It's about engaging in a meaningful, deep, personal relationship with Jesus. It's, you can't do that and casually read the Bible. You can't do that and flippantly attend its worship services. You can't do that if all of your interaction with God is 15 or 20 minutes a day uh, in the morning when you have a quick devotion and prayer. Uh, and nor can you, if you're more spiritual in, in man's eyes and spend a couple of hours with God in the Word, uh, that still falls short of the mark. It doesn't measure up because relationship is not about giving someone 30 minutes and then say, I'll check back in with you tomorrow. Relationship is continual and interactive throughout the course of the day. It is one heartbeat at a time together through life and that's what God wants from us. Not 20 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes at night or a couple of hours on Sunday. It is about interacting with Him every moment of the day all through the week at every hour in every place wherever I am if I cannot be in fellowship and communion with my God I shouldn't be there in the first place and when I look and I understand what he's trying to get across here is he's saying listen focus on the spirit of communion fellowship with God the other thing that he says is fellowship with God's people that's what this is if you got a problem with your brother in Christ fix it why? Because fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ is important. We should enjoy this. Coming to the house of the Lord should not be burdensome. It should not be something that's done out of a sense of duty. And that's really what it gets down to when we talk about doing things because it's what I'm supposed to do as opposed to doing things because I love him. And the same is true in all of our relationships, by the way. Our spousal relationships, our relationships with our children, our relationships with coworkers, with church go fellow church members, it's all relational. It's all, it all wraps up into the same principle in this. You know, if, if I go to work and bring home a living because it's my duty, if my wife prepares dinner because it's duty, if all the inner working parts of our relationship with one another are done only because it's what's expected of me and it's what I have to do, then I do not have a healthy, meaningful relationship. If my children only do what I demand because they're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't, if they do it out of a sense of duty, then they're going to grow up and rebel and they're going to grow up and be resentful and they're going to grow up and be a hurt people. But if they do it because of love, every aspect of our relationships, if we do them to build relationship, if we do them from a spirit and a heart of love, 
in fellowship with Christ, in fellowship with one another, then we become healthy in our relationships with each other. We become healthy in our relationships with God. God's power and blessing fall upon us. And the word of God uh, goes out and brings in a harvest. But when we do what we do simply because it's my duty to do it, then no one puts their heart into it. No one is ever truly ever satisfied or fulfilled on either side of the equation. Whether we're talking about deeply intimate aspects of relationship or whether we're talking about just casual day-to-day run-of-the-mill things like packing lunch. All of those things come down to, is this my duty or is this an expression of my love? What Jesus wants from you, what Jesus wants from me, is not a people who are governed and whose lives are dictated by the guilt and the burden of duty. What he wants from us is a people that are looking to express our love to him as he has expressed his love to us. No life, no relationship can last whether it's with the Lord or with my spouse or with my children or with my fellow worshipers or with my co-workers out in the community or a neighbor that is built upon duty and obligation. No relationship can fail that is merely an expression of love for one another. Jesus is saying, listen, I have come to fulfill the law that you might lay aside the burden of duty and religion and express your love to me. I went to the cross and expressed my love to you. Not because it was a duty, but because of my love. Will you express your love to me? And he's trying to refocus their attention on their faith. Listen, it's not about the deeds, it's about the spirit. It's not about someone fixing things with you so that you feel like you've been vindicated. It's about reconciling. And it's not about checking a list off religiously. It's about close personal fellowship with the Savior. Refocus on what's important. And when I say that, I don't mean refocus on what's important to you. And I don't mean refocus on what's important to me. I mean refocus on what's important to God. What's important to God? You know what's most important to God? I'm not saying that church attendance isn't important. I'm not saying that reading our Bible is not important. I'm not saying that you know, giving our offerings is not important or telling others about Christ is not important. I, I believe all those things are important, but I believe this, what's most important. I can do all those things and not have great love and closeness to God. But I can't have a great love and closeness to God and not participate in all those things at some point. What's important to him? The most important thing to him is his fellowship with you. His personal love and relationship with you. And your personal expression of that love back to him. Focus your faith on what's important to the Father.